So for, uh, for those of you that haven't heard me preach, I don't usually just go from one section of Scripture, so I kind of bounce around. Um, so I'll try and go slow at times, but sometimes you might just need to write some stuff down and come back to it. But um, as I always say, I think Scripture just confirms Scripture. So if you can't find it in multiple places, you might need to pray about it and see exactly what he's saying because it should be uh, in multiple spots. So I've noticed that in my life, what I did for a while, and I see it in a lot of others, uh, a lot of Christians, that we believe somehow that God, uh, when we go from Malachi to Matthew, that God changes. That when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that he changes. That um, when Jesus came, all of a sudden, uh, God became different. But Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that was with the children of Israel in the wilderness is in our midst this morning. And I don't feel like we treat him that way sometimes. I feel like uh, we've taken God, the, the God who spoke creation into existence, literally spoke and there was light. Um, the God that, that put on human flesh and came down and lived a perfect life, lived a servant's life, and then died a sinner's death. Uh, we've taken him and we've made him kind of casual. We've made him kind of like this easygoing, convenient buddy instead of a God that is to be feared and worshipped and served and loved with everything in our being. So Uzzah and Samuel, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but in 2 Samuel, uh, he's the one that the Ark of the Covenant was falling, and he, like probably most of us would, reached out to grab it, but God clearly commanded it as instructions of handling the ark to not touch it, and when he did, he was struck dead. Acts 5, so that's Old Testament, Acts 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, the, the early church is getting going, and uh, they're selling all their stuff, right? They're coming together. It, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Go through Acts and read it. It's just awesome. But Ananias and Sapphira, um, they sell their property, but they think that it's a good idea to lie about how much they sold it for. So they give the apostles the money and say, hey, here it all is. Uh, but it's obviously not. Paul, or no, sorry, Peter um, calls them out on it, and both of them separately are struck dead for lying. God is holy, you guys. He's holy. He's holy. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what is fear? What is fear of the Lord? It's not really the same as our fear, right? It's not, it goes a lot deeper than being scared of the dark. So in Acts 5, in 5.11, after they're struck dead, it says, Great fear came over the whole church and all who heard of these things. So fear is like a, a reverent awe of just who God is how big he is, and how small and fragile we are in comparison. He's holy, guys. He's perfect. In Exodus 33, God says that no man can see me and live. Matthew 10, Jesus tells us, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. 
That's Jesus. That's, that's, that's our Lord and Savior talking. And that's pretty clear. To, so to fear God in, in my, from what I've studied in my, uh, through prayer is just to look upon his majesty and to put him in his proper place and to put ourselves in our proper place. He is God. We are not. We fall at his feet and just worship him when we realize how mighty and majestic he is. That's fear, okay? That is fear, the fear of the Lord. And we have to start there. Because if we don't, if we have a wrong perception of who God is, then we'll have a twisted view of who we are, and that balance will never be put in its proper place. And I've lived in that place, and there's no freedom, there's no fruit, there's nothing good can come from that. It, it's, a, it's a really um, painful and frustrating life to live. So God, he never, he never called us just to raise our hands on Sunday morning, okay? Say that we believe in Jesus and then go on living the same life that we lived before just because we believe, right? That's, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's a life, the life that we're called to as followers of Christ, okay? And Scripture is very, very clear about it what it should look like, but most importantly, how it's obtained. God, he loves us, you guys. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. But he hates sin, okay? He hates sin. Sin is real, and it's a big deal. Sin separates us from him. That's why he hates it. It's not part of his design. It's not part of his original plan. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's how much he hates it, flat out, death. Wages is a paycheck. So if you're working with sin, death is your, is your paycheck. Okay, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. But God made a way, okay? He made a way for us. He didn't just make a way for us to get to heaven, though. A lot of times we stop there. We just, as Christians, we think heaven is just, that's, that's the whole goal of this whole life, but it's not. He made a way for us to have constant communion and fellowship with him all day, every day, here and now. Here and now, right now. It's for us. But it's only through the cross that this is possible. That's it. It's the only way. And there's one thing about the cross that I feel like doesn't get talked about or taught a whole lot in, in the church today. And it wasn't just for Jesus. The cross is not just for Jesus. Luke 9.23, Jesus is speaking. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What do we know about a cross? It's ugly, painful, it's horrific. It's not a means of discipline, right, or correction. It's a means of death but it's effective. Nobody survives crucifixion. Nobody. Death to self is a prerequisite to following Jesus. One of my favorite teachers is A.W. Tozer. He's, uh, he's a little bit of a throwback, but he said in one of his sermons that so many Christians want Jesus to do all the dying and they want to do all the living. And, and, and if we're being honest, we have a tendency to live our lives in that way. Well, Jesus died, so Jesus died for it, so we're good. 
But no, he calls us to die to ourselves. Right there. If anyone wants to follow me, anyone wishes to follow, to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily, not just once, daily, and follow me. So John 3, I'm going to read the first few verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, and sa- answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born is the that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. So to be born again isn't just like a, a catchy bumper sticker, like a really sweet hashtag, right? It's, it, it's a literal rebirth, okay? It's a true rebirth of the Spirit, okay? He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. All of us were born into the flesh, right? When we came out of our moms, we were born of the flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit, capital, the Spirit is Spirit. So that which is born of the Holy Spirit is Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's amazing. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, New things have come. If the gospel does not change a man, if it doesn't transform a man, if it doesn't take the evil out of a man, then odds are he doesn't have the gospel. If you have the same desires, if you have the same way you talk, if you have the same sense of humor, if you have all the same characteristics that you used to have before you gave your life to Jesus, I would challenge yourselves to look in the mirror and ask, have I been born again? I'm not sorry to say that, guys. I, I, I might sound like I'm coming strong, but God's word is so clear. It's so clear. So clear. Second Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? He wants us to have those conversations, okay? He's not not so frail that we can't come to him and just be, hey, God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I need to get there. He'd much rather have that conversation with you now than wait till it's too late, because there will be a day when it's too late. There will be. If the blood of Jesus is just your get-out-of-hell-free card, then you're missing it. It's not just about getting to heaven, guys. Again, that, that, is, that is our destination. I will never shy away from saying that. We are, when we are in Christ, when we are his, we will spend eternity with him. But that can't be the goal. Freedom from sin is just as much a part of the gospel as the forgiveness of sin. John eight thirty six. Jesus says, so if the son makes you free, we just sang it, you will be free indeed. God takes sin really, really serious. We don't need to look any further than the cross. 
to see just how serious God takes sin. His son, the third person of the Trinity, he, he sent him down for 33 years. He was sent to die for sin. That's how serious God takes it. And not only did he die, but God turned his back. The father turned his back on the son on the cross. The pain that that, like that, think about that. Chew on that for a while. Like, that's horrific to actually sit and think about that God did that. And that was because of how much he hates sin and how serious he takes it. But for some reason, uh, the church has gotten away from this, and we've turned God's grace into something it was never uh, intended to be, nor what it really is. So Romans 6, 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? To die to sin. The blood, of, the blood of Jesus does not just cover it, okay? It's supposed to remove it. It's supposed to remove sin. We're supposed to live lives free, free from sin. Now, this doesn't mean, okay, that you will never miss it, okay? But as, as children of God, if we're living in sin, guys, we are not in his will. I'll tell you that right now. We are not. Living in sin, practicing sin are different than just sinning, okay? Sinning is, sinning is something different. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. This is kind of a long one, but it's so awesome. First, if you guys get a chance, go camp out in 1 John. The rock you. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know what he appeared in order to, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who was born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Wow. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I'm going to read a few more just because, um, again, it, it, it's everywhere. This, this, this stuff is everywhere in Scripture. We've got to read the hard stuff. We have to. We can't just read the easy stuff. We've got to read the hard stuff. Romans 6.11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.21-24 calls us to examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. James 4. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no, speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, submission to God is the first step right there. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, and his will is the first step and the only step it takes. It's not a 10-step process. It's not do this, this, this. Submit to God, okay, and resist the devil, and he will flee. But it's not just to submit at one time. We have to submit to his will over our lives, okay, and then we can truly resist Satan. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. Go after him. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humility is essential, okay, to the gospel. It is. Humility and holiness will always go hand in hand. They will always go together. Always. Because when we're humble, when we're humble, we can allow Holy Spirit to speak to us, okay? We can allow him to speak to us and convict us. And we can receive it. We can receive his correction, his admonishment, okay, his warnings, his, hey, stop. Don't go that way. And we can move forward with him. We can repent and we can move forward. Okay, pride, pride's the opposite. Pride causes defensiveness, okay, which when we're defensive, we can't surrender because we're right, right? When we're defensive, you're always in the right when you get defensive. So we can't surrender and then we can't repent when we're proud. So ask yourselves, are you surrendered or are you proud? Are you humble or are you proud? It says God is opposed to the proud. If you are proud, okay, God is coming after you. Okay, not, not in a way of, 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 not in a way that he's coming after you in terms of attempting to hurt you. But look, he wants his children. He wants our lives. He wants us holy. God, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are we proud or are we humble? Have we ever truly repented of our sins, turned to God, and surrendered our lives to him? It's not just accepting him into our heart, okay? He wants our lives. He wants your lives. That's the call he's given us, okay? It's the call he's given us, to follow him. We've taken this thing and we've made it super complicated when it's really not. The Bible, the Bible is the deepest book you'll ever read, but it's also the simplest book you'll ever read. 2 Corinthians 11, but I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Matthew 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, sorry, Jesus says, everybody knows this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But so often we stop there, okay? There's two more verses to this, and they're amazing. But we just come to him, and he gives us rest. 29 and 30 say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we come to him, and he gives us rest. Okay, But then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is the rest that is sustainable, okay? It's not a momentary rest. So often we come to him, and then, you know, a day, a week, a month later, all of a sudden, the rest is gone. We come to him, we get that rest, it feels great, and then all of a sudden, we get back into our jobs, get back into the day-to-day grind, and all of a sudden, the rest is gone. We wonder what the heck. But it's because we never entered into a relationship with him. 
Okay, so a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke, was they put it on oxen when they were plowing field. And when they put it on two oxen, okay, if one oxen was going one way, the other one was going with it. It connected the two. But here's the thing about the yoke. It's his. It's not our yoke. It's his yoke. It's his yoke. When we come to him and we truly are at the end of ourselves, and it's not just an emotional decision, but we are done with the life that we have, we lose our right to our own opinion, okay? We lose all the rights that we ever had to ourselves because we are his. If he says it, it's got to be. It's got to be. has to. If he calls us to it, we must obey. Obedience was never meant to be a suggestion or an option, guys. It's a command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. John 17, 3. says, Jesus is talking to God. He's talking to the Father, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Everything Jesus teaches is impossible. Okay, It's impossible unless... He can put into us his spirit and remake us from within. That's it. It's all him. It's all him. We have the choice to make, but the choice is surrender and then yes to him. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. But whatever things, so Paul's going through his credentials, right? He's saying if anybody has a right to be proud, if anybody has a right to this, it's me. I was born on the, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Um, the, the, the Pharisee of Pharisees, I mean, just he, he, had, he could brag about anything if he, if he wanted to in, in and of himself. But he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Man, that, you could just unpack that for days. That is absolutely incredible that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Knowing him. You're going to hear me say it every single time I'm up here. That's what this whole thing is about, is knowing him. We have to know him. We can't know about him. We can't have an, uh, um, an idea or a theory of him. Okay, We have to know God. And here's the thing. Jesus made a way for us to truly know him. Maybe not fully, okay, because I don't even know if eternity is enough time for us to be able to truly understand and, and, and fully uh, grasp who God is. But we can know him on this earth. We can know his will. And he's given us the ability to follow it, to obey. When we enter into relationship with him and we fall in love with him, okay, then we can, then we can finally for the first time say, your way, God. No matter what. No matter what the cost. Okay, no matter what relationships it may cost me. Here's the thing. The life of a disciple is, is going to look fanatical to the world. And it might even look fanatical inside the church depending on what church you're in. It might. 
He's going to call you to lay down relationships. He's going to call you to lay down certain things in your life, shows, uh, sports, anything, addictions, uh, definitely addictions, but idols of any kind, okay? Idols are not just little pieces of gold that sit on your mantle, okay? Sin is not just drugs, sex, rock and roll. Idols can be anything, and they have to go. God will not share, okay? They have to be put in their proper place. So God will call you to lay things down. I promise you that. He's, he's done it to me. And the things he calls you to lay down may not be inherently bad in and of themselves. They might be things that you think aren't all that bad, and, but they're a hindrance to your relationship with him. How often do we say, God, I just didn't have, you know what, I just don't have time to get in the word. But we have time to watch five hours of shows and be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram for three hours a day. But we don't have time for him. We got to get, get out of this, guys. We got to wake up. And, I'm, and, and believe me, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not just preaching at you guys. I, I'm walking through what I'm sharing right now. So either the Bible is the living word of God or it's not, right? And if it isn't, who cares? We're just a bunch of really nice people. But um, if it is, are we living like it? Do we, do, or do we show that we believe it by the way that we live? It's very easy to see what somebody believes by watching the way that they live. Because we can say anything we want, right? I can tell you right now I'm an astronaut. I'm not an astronaut, but I could say I am. It doesn't make me one. Okay, I want, I want everything that God has for me in this life, everything. I'm not perfect, but I want to surrender completely to the one who is in every facet of my life. But it's only through relationship, okay, and knowing him that we can actually enter into surrender and then enter into obedience. It's only through relationships. We can obey him through our own strength. But that's only lasts for a little bit, right? If we could do it in our own strength, then Jesus would have never had to die. The law would have been enough. But we can't. We have to have his spirit inside of us. And we have to surrender to it and let him live through us. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. It's Christ. It's Jesus. It goes a lot deeper than just being a really nice person. Christianity's not for the faint of heart. I promise you that. We need his spirit, we need his power, we need his strength, and we need him, only him. We have to enter in a relationship, we have to take his yoke, we have to learn from him, and then we have to believe what he says about us. We have to, we have to believe what he says. When he says that your sins have been taken and thrown into a sea of forgetfulness and as far as the east is from the west, we have to believe that. We have to believe that we've been forgiven. One of my favorite quotes my God, my, sorry, my goal is God himself. Not joy, not peace, nor even blessing, but himself, my God. That's Oswald Chambers. He's awesome. So do we want God or do we want his stuff? Okay, because in America, there's benefits to being a Christian. In other parts of the world, there's not. You'll die for it. And that's why you see the church thriving in these countries where the persecution is the strongest because people have to make up their mind when somebody holds a gun to their head or a sword to their head and says, deny him or I'll kill you. The line is drawn. Here we fall asleep because there's no persecution. There's actually a benefit. There's a social benefit to a degree of being a Christian. Right? We get to come together. We get to have lots of friends and family. We get to do small groups. We get to do all this stuff. But do we want him or do we want his stuff? Ask yourself that, okay? Be humble enough to ask yourself that. I ask, I ask myself that all the time. It's good 
it's good because it allows us when we are humble, he can say, hey, you're starting to drift. Come on, come back over here. Because if we want him, it's going to come at a cost. I hear preachers talk that it's not going to cost you anything. Okay, sure. In terms of the gift of salvation, it is free. We do nothing to earn it. But it will cost you your life. Okay? It will cost you your life. Jesus, in Matthew 16, you'll notice I'm quoting Jesus a lot. For some reason, we've made Jesus, like, I think the world's done it, but I feel like we kind of do it too, like this easygoing hippie. And he's not, man. Jesus is a king coming back with fire in his eyes. That reality has to hit our hearts that he, he loves us, but he's a jealous God, okay? He's a jealous God, and he's coming back. And we're going to have to stand before him. Even as Christians, we'll have to stand before him. And we'll be judged for our works. We will be judged for our works. We have to stand before him and say, look, I took your work serious. I was serious about my father's business. So Matthew 16 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, he will find it. So he's not interested in partial surrender, guys. He's not. I lived a life of compromise as a Christian for a lot of years, and it almost destroyed me and almost destroyed my marriage. And had it, I wouldn't have my youngest back there. So my heart burns for Christians to come to know who they are, the life that they're called to, and that compromise has no business in the life of a disciple. It doesn't. It will kill you. It will destroy you. I promise you it will. We don't get to give him 75% of our lives and keep the leftovers, okay? He wants all of us. It's one of my favorite uh, pieces of scripture. The rich young ruler. So as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a really good question. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt, felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You notice what Jesus doesn't do next. He doesn't run after him and say, you know what? That was wrong of me. How about we just, just sell 80% of your stuff? Keep 20. We're good. No. The line was drawn. And, you know, I think about this. Who knows what this guy's place in history could have been? Had he sold his stuff and followed Jesus? He might have he wrote some books of the Bible. He may, be, he may have been one of the greatest disciples. We'll never know. We'll never know. So it's going to cost you your life, but I can tell you right now unequivocally and undeniably that the life that he has for us is so much greater than anything, anything, anything you could ever imagine. Okay, I've tasted what the world has. I've lived that life. I did. I, I've, done, I've done it all. And I can tell you right now that even though it's fun in the moment, when you're laying in bed by yourself and you have that shame that falls over you and you know that, this, that there's something more to this life, it's him. That's him pressing on you. 
saying, come, follow me. Lay this stuff down. I want you. And he will make us into something so much greater than anything we could ever do on our own. And the beautiful thing about God is he gives us a choice. Always. The choice is ours. 